The Lord be with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. We greet you here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as university chaplain for community life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings on behalf of our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away this week. We uh, also lament the absence, but also offer our congratulations to our director of music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, as he made his Carnegie Hall debut in conducting last evening. Even as two are away, we bear special greetings to two others this morning. First, to the Inner Strength Gospel Choir under the direction of Herb Jones. We're very grateful for your presence and leadership among us this morning. And also to our preacher of the day, the Reverend Liz Douglas, Chapel Associate for LGBTQ and UCC Ministry, who will be bearing the word this morning. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. 
And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. A prayer of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Eternal God, we praise you for gifts of mind with which you have endowed us. We are able to rise out of the half-realities of the sense world to a world of ideal beauty and eternal truth. Teach us, we pray, how to use this great gift of reason and imagination so that it shall not be a curse, but a blessing. Grant us visions that shall lift us from worldliness and sin into the light of your holy presence. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Let us confess our sins in silent prayer as the choir sings the Kyrie. God help us as individuals and as a world to hear it now before it is too late. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that, that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, 
and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living thing, creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 25 responsively with the antiphon. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. Now please rise as you're willing and able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Glory to you. In those days, Jesus came from, Nazareth of came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you, Lord Christ. 
Please be seated. A prayer for Boston from the Reverend James Martin, Jesuit priest, author, and editor. Almighty God, who made the green grass on the Fenway, the blue waters of Dorchester Bay, and the tan sands on the Cape, we have a simple prayer. Enough with the snow already. <laughs> Whatever mysterious point you're making about endurance or patience or your own awesome power, we get it. We've endured, we're plenty patient, and we get that you can do the snow thing. And we know that you know the old joke, because you know everything, about how if the pilgrims landed in Florida first, this part of the country would have never been settled. But we do love it here. We love the spring, especially on Boston Common. We love the, the fall, especially in the suburbs. And we love the summer, especially on Cape Cod, on Cape Ann, and on the South Shore. We love all those beautiful parts of your world, but we've had it with the snow. I mean, have you looked out my window? So we'd like to ask you to stop sending us the snow. And just to be clear, when we say snow, we also mean freezing rain, sleet, black ice, and any kind of flurries, and that new creation of yours, thunder snow. We promise we'll be good during Lent, we'll be kind to one another, and won't ask for another thing. Well, at least until the Red Sox start to play. Amen. You and I may have offered some variation of that same prayer to God in the last month, especially last week, when the weather prohibited us from meeting here in person. Last Sunday, I worshipped from my home office on the second floor of my house that overlooks the street. Wind wailing, snow blowing, I wrapped my blanket a little more tightly around me as I heard the steam heat rattling through the radiator, in sync with the wind whipping the windows in front of me. Across the street, a neighbor opened her window and slowly stretched out a broom to knock down the heavy and thick icicles from the gutters, fearful of the prolonged strain on the house's structure. Perhaps for many of you, the roads to 735 Commonwealth Avenue were impassable, the routine journey to worship in the presence of a known community too risky to attempt. Perhaps you too sat, listened, and worshipped from your armchair, the melodic voices of the choir competing with the shrill wind and thundering snowplows. Perhaps you also found comfort in the familiar voices, hymns, and word, despite the white wilderness engulfing you. In Boston this winter, we have endured our own kind of wilderness, pummeled with storm after storm, snow rising to unbelievable heights, commuting whether by foot, car, bike, or public transit, nearly impossible, Bostonians somehow managed to continue onward day after day, week after week. Two weeks ago on a Monday morning, my partner and I headed to the driveway yet again to shovel. I started to pile the snow on the already higher than me snow piles on either side of the driveway. I suddenly stopped, exacerbated, and said, this is not going to work. There's just no more room. Finally, I decided to take the snow one shovel load at a time and carry it across the street to a smaller snowbank. It took us double the time, but slow and steady was the only way to go at this point. Here in Boston, we've needed to be a little more creative, a little more patient, a little more flexible, and a little more forgiving in order to brave these long winter days and nights. We chip, chip, chip away at the icy block at the end of our driveways, strongly built by the snowplows, because we know we'll make it out of the white wilderness soon. Our hope rests in the promise of new life, warmth, sunshine, and green grass. Our hope rests in the promise of spring. You and I in Boston are insiders to this journey, and through a shared wilderness to find a common hope, we as Bostonians make the long trek together. As outsiders in Mark's Gospel today, we see from beyond the moment at hand we're provided a glimpse into a very personal account of Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven projecting, the spirit descending, and Jesus emerging. Mother, son, and spirit, the Trinity comes together for one snapshot moment, breaking through the daily life on the riverbanks of the Jordan, as if the world stood still for one quiet, perfect moment. Jesus saw the, the heavens torn apart. Jesus felt the spirit fall down upon him and Jesus heard his mother's voice from above. Nowhere does Mark say others witnessed Jesus' personal encounters with the Spirit and God. 
Instead, Jesus' baptismal experience was uniquely his own. And whatever happened in the brief moment between Jesus and the Spirit following his baptism, we don't know, except to simply say the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Mark's wilderness is described in one short sentence in which an almost comical scene is set up. Jesus is with Satan, the wild beasts, and angels. It's as if the red-horned devil is sitting on his left shoulder and the white haloed angel on his right, both tugging at the human desires and impulses tucked deeply within the heart. The devil whispers maliciously in Jesus' ear, nothing you can do will make a difference. You have a good life with a good family, so why would you risk that security and stability? Nobody will listen to you. Be comfortable and let someone else take this on. The angel letting out a long sigh simply repeats the familiar words to Jesus, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Comical images aside, something resonates deeply within us when we think of being God's beloved with whom she is well pleased. These words echo the Genesis account of being created in God's own image in the psalmist's poetic prayer who knew himself to be fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Each of us yearns for God's love, desires to feel valued, and desperately seeks hope, the hope only found in God. As outsiders, we don't know the rainy wilderness through which the prophet Noah journeyed to dry land. Like Jesus, he spent 40 days away from the familiar. In a wilderness of water and rain, claustrophobia and confusion, in darkness and despair, Noah chose to put his trust in God, despite the ridicule from those who scoffed at his building a gigantic ark. Noah clung to hope and endured the wilderness that eventually ended with a new promise of peace from God, symbolized by the vibrant rainbow that stretched from generation to generation for all of humankind, all animals, and all plant life over the entire earth. The covenant initiated by God in Genesis reached far and wide to the reestablishment of that same covenant through Jesus Christ, from wilderness to wilderness, from Genesis to gospel, from Noah to Jesus, from prophet to good news incarnate, from faithful to constant, hopeful to hope-filled, and from pioneer to leader. Sarah Kate Ellis, a modern-day pioneer and president of GLAD with two A's, a queer rights organization recently asked, where are the hearts and minds of Americans? Her question stemmed from the recent marriage equality victories in opposition to the increasing hostility towards lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender folk, especially by prominent political and religious figures. Ellis's hope is that marriage is looked at as the benchmark and not just the finish line, since laws, while good and necessary, don't necessarily change attitudes or biases. After several polls geared towards answering her questions about Americans' hearts and minds, the responses were troubling. About a third of respondents said they'd feel unsettled if their child's physician or teacher identified as L, G, B, or T, and they would also feel uncomfortable seeing same-sex couples holding hands. Almost half said they would be uncomfortable bringing a child to a same-sex wedding. And even more disheartening, a public religion research institute survey from a little over a year ago found that over half of respondents claimed sex between two men or two women is morally wrong. Understandably, polls are an imperfect science for data collection, but looking beyond the flaws, it's evident that the hearts and minds of many Americans aren't in sync with their queer brothers and sisters. With more and more states declaring the unconstitutionality of banning lesbians and gays from marriage equality, it's no surprise a strong and harsh backlash is upon us. Alabama recently joined in the most recent triumph of justice in which the Supreme Court chose not to block a ruling by a federal judge who declared the Alabama's marriage restrictions as unconstitutional. Sadly, though, not all those in Alabama joined in the celebration. In angry defiance, Chief Justice Roy Moore of the state Supreme Court chose to defy federal law by commanding authorities to block the marriages, determined to resist marriage equality for all of Alabama's citizens. His actions have caused chaos and confusion for authorities and those seeking marriage, 
essentially dividing the state between those in favor and those against. In response to this, Nicholas Kristof in his New York Times opinion column recently asked, do Judge Moore and other conservative Christians think that when God made gays and lesbians fall aching, achingly in love with each other, God screwed up? How vast is the wilderness, how long, how wide, how deep, that causes us to wonder if God screwed up, made a mistake, or regrets a part of her creation. Even though you and I may know that we are God's beloved, let us not forget the deeply personal journeys of many, where the glimmer of hope is too often dimmed by the heavy burdens of oppression and discrimination, by injustice and hate, and by excommunication and abandonment. Communal or personal, the wildernesses seem unending and blinding, weary individuals pushing onward with silent cries of help meant for any who might listen or be willing to, or willing to be here, to, willing to be heard. Asking for help is a needed practice. It's too often portrayed as giving in or showing weakness. In a society where we are taught to be strong and independent, help isn't a word that comes naturally to us. Yet everyone needs help sometimes, like a woman who emailed me last week. In one of her classes, a quiz was given in order to discover what implicit biases each person might have. Pleased, she didn't discover too much bias towards several groups of people. But the results relating to one group in particular concerned her. The bias she held towards LGBT folk worried her since she firmly believes in being full of Christ's love and expressing that love to all people equally. In an attempt to confront her biases and learn more about a community in which she has not been immersed or knows very little, she reached out to me for help. Her heartfelt honesty in writing and pushing the send button for this email combined with her self-reflective humility, brought about a renewed and needed hope deep inside of me. If one person could swiftly attempt to change biases in order to love more truly as God loves, who's to say we all can't take the time and energy for probing self-reflection as well? Lent is meant to be a time for self-reflection and humility. With Ash Wednesday behind us, our Lenten journey has now begun. As we follow Jesus into the wilderness, fight temptation, listen for God's quiet voice, remember we are beloved, and seek hope. We too fight temptations like Jesus, the red devil pulling at our human desires and the white angel tugging at the spirit's convictions placed on the heart. Lent is no different than any other season in this regard. Temptations always abound, wildernesses come and go, and the snow falls every winter. Yet Lent is unique in that it offers space carved out specifically for repentance, humility, and hope. Lent is a time in which folks take on a practice or give up a bad habit in order to be more reflective, penitent, forgiving, and mindful of Jesus' journey to the cross for our sake. In this still, quiet place, what will you find? In the hushed silence to what is God calling you to do? Looking back to Sarah Kate Ellis, the pioneer who's concerned with Americans' hearts and minds, we recognize the hope she seeks, anticipates, and offers. Though discouraging poll results, hurtful words thrown back and forth between religious leaders, hateful votes and bills approved by politicians, and continual violence, Ellis, encouraged by the progress the country has made, has a vision for what more good awaits. What's her solution to changing the poll results and reaching the hearts and minds other than waiting through the passing of time? She wants to see more from the people who are wholly comfortable with gays to be more open about it, and in her own words, to be more evangelical about it. Share the good news with others, be more open about the truth, and be the hope that marginalized communities so desperately need. It's interesting and noteworthy that Ellis uses the term evangelical, a word with Christian roots that is associated with zeal and passion and proclaiming the good news of the gospel and the hope that's found there. In true evangelical fashion, Jesus emerged from the wilderness proclaiming the good news, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. Mark's gospel offers no transition 
from the wilderness to the proclamation, showing an urgency to Jesus' ministry. From quiet solitude to boisterous community, Jesus hit the ground running. Triumphantly, he fled the wilderness, escaping the temptations and loneliness to live out the hope he knew to be true inside of himself. From personal to public, Jesus took what he experienced at his baptism to enter the wilderness with humility and vulnerability and finally emerge to proclaim good news, offer renewed hope, and challenge the broken and destructive cycles around him. While we can't enter Jesus' own personal wilderness, this Lenten season is a time to reflect on what wildernesses are around us through which we are wandering as insiders, those wildernesses that are to us deeply personal. We are reminded of our mortality, sinfulness, and humanity as we hear once again that we are dust and will return to dust. Symbolizing repentance on Ash Wednesday, the ashes stay with us through the day on our foreheads, a public display of the personal conviction. These ashes also stay with us the 40 days of Lent, not visibly for all to see. Instead, they're marked on our hearts. This Lenten journey is only what we make of it if embraced as a time of self-reflection, humility, and penitence. The choice is ours whether to set aside quiet solitude during these next 40 days. In this still, quiet place, what will you find? And when the heart is open to God, to what will you be called to do? The temptation for all of us is to ignore the call to serve, to stand, to speak out, to challenge, to step out of our boundaries and to help those in need. The temptation is to believe that God did screw up. The temptation is to leave others stranded in the wilderness, especially those with which we are outsiders, not offering a hand or the time to better understand another's struggles. The temptation is to keep our biases tucked away without working on letting them go. The temptation is to not ask for help or hear the help of cries from other. The temptation is to lose hope or deny others hope. The temptation is to believe the lies that we are not beloved or to tell those lies to others with whom God is so very well pleased. The temptation is to temper the gospel, squash the good news, and put out the fires of evangelical pioneers. The wilderness is a place where we can take stock of our hearts and minds, choosing either to seek hope or despair, whether to find solace in indifference or determination, deciding to be a little more creative for, all, for the good of all people or only a few, allowing ourselves to be flexible in our thinking or rigid in our narrow beliefs, asking for help, offering help, or denying help to others. Are you the one lending a hand or a shovel or a snowblower for the neighbor in need this winter? Are you reaching out and using your voice for those marginalized, those wandering in the desert? The wilderness has different meanings for different people, yet we are all seeking the same hope in God, fulfilled by Christ. When faced with a choice, Jesus chose to accept the calling from God to offer his life to others and God in the service of those around him. May we be mindful of his journey to the cross this Lenten season, and may we seek hope in the wilderness. As God's beloved, may we proclaim the hope of Christ through the wilderness. May our prayer be this Lenten season to align our hearts and minds to that of God's loving will and the service of others. Amen.
We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude of, and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. As we prayed together this morning, I will conclude each petition with Lord in your mercy. Please respond with hear our prayer. Lord Almighty, as we enter into this time of Lent and begin to reflect on our lives, we are embarking on this journey with you. We pray for those who are lost. We pray for those who do not wish to be found and we pray for those who have nowhere to turn. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Creator of earth, we thank you for the sun and the sky. We are reminded of the great powers of your creation. We pray for those enduring floods in their own lives, be them floods of snow or floods of pain and trials. We pray that all people in the midst of a flood find solace in your promise. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Oh, great divine, we are reminded this morning of our great blessings. We are fortunate to have the shelter of our homes and the warmth of our coats. In our reflection, we lift up those who do not have shelter or warmth. We ask that you wrap yourself around them, that they might know even in trials, you are still present. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Great loving parent to us all, we ask that you guide our leaders in this world. Those leaders in politics, in diplomacy, in the local community, and in your church. We pray that they might have discernment and wisdom to act in favor of those who depend on them. Let our leaders not forget the reasons for which they lead. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Eternal Spirit, we know there are many pains and floods on our minds and in our hearts. We lift them up to you now. May we not have to bear such burdens alone. Let us find support among each other and remind us the needs of our siblings in you, in you that our siblings have. Let us be the body and the family of Christ always. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and hope you'll take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We note particularly this week that on Saturday evening, February 28th at 8 p.m., the Marsh Chapel Choir will be performing the complete Rachmaninoff Vespers. Uh, you've been hearing selections of that throughout the semester, particularly this morning you heard it in the intro, a, a section of it in the introit, but here, com- here the complete Vespers uh, this Saturday at 8 p.m. here in the nave. More information on the website or in your bulletin. We note also that the following day on Sunday, March 1st, there is a gathering for students for brunch at the Deanery, hosted by Jan Hill. Uh, And more again, more information in in your bulletin or through the chapel office. There are two postponements to a note, both weather related. One is that we will be postponing our study retreat that was supposed to happen this coming Saturday as the university has rescheduled classes for that day. Uh, We are also postponing our hymn sing, which was supposed to take place on March 8th, Both we will uh, announce when they have been rescheduled. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate with the Inner Strength Gospel Choir on a Namibian folk song, Gabi Gabi. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Let us pray. God of generosity, who leads us through the wilderness of these 40 days, we give you thanks for your infinite love and faithfulness. May these gifts strengthen your church and contribute to your work of justice and peace in the world. Baptize us in your spirit and guide us in love that we may bless others as we ourselves have been blessed. Through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Amen.
Now, friends, whatever wilderness the Spirit has brought you to, walk in boldness as a beloved child of God. Walk in peace under the shelter of the Most High. Walk in faith, knowing Christ walks with you. Go now in the name of God, by the grace of Christ, and with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.